0: Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, the official podcast of Craft Brewed Music, the app that streams better music for serious listeners. Here we explore and get to know the creators of that music. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co host, Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. We're going to do something a little different this episode, Uh, debut a new series called Long Story Short, which we'll visit periodically. Uh, we have some past episodes that are uh, really great where we got, uh, as we tend to do, we got kind of into the weeds, in a good way, but into the weeds on, on process and details of a certain album, and, um, and I want to revisit some of these episodes, uh, but in more bite-sized chunks. So we're going to revisit episode 15, uh, which focused on Emily Keener and her I Do Not Have to Be Good album. Uh, which came out in March of 2020. We did this interview about a year after that, last spring, uh, March or April of 2021, uh, and uh, we've cut it down a little bit, and I think kept its essence. and uh, And I hope you enjoy it. This is long story short. Emily Keener's "I Do Not Have to Be Good" revisited. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Emily, where where are you right now?
2: So, I am actually in a rural area, kind of uh, about an hour outside of Cleveland. Um, I don't know if you know, like where. Oberlin college is, but it's just like kind of in that area, Southwest of Southwest of the city. It's beautiful out here. Um, spring is amazing. Like I'm looking out my window right now and the lilac tree is blooming. We just had a kind of a very snowy day yesterday. I was a little worried about some of these blooms, but I don't know. Everything seems to be, seems to be fine now all of it melted away. So it's just, it's beautiful. I love it out here.
1: And and this is where you are right now is where you grew up.
2: Yes yep um, yeah I, I was born in Cleveland lived there and in Cleveland suburbs until I was about eight um, and then my family packed up and and moved out here I have two siblings younger brother younger sister and um, I don't know my folks were just looking for a little bit of a quieter life um, they really wanted to homeschool the three of us it was a dream of theirs to do something like that and to um, you know it it, it kind of goes hand in hand pretty well with living in a rural area. there's a lot to there's a lot to learn from the the land out here um, and so it was a pretty pretty great way to grow up
1: does and do you think that setting that uh, the the rural upbringing is is kind of a uh, a a feature or a presence in your songwriting?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would say so definitely there was a there was a certain aspect of isolation out here. Um, it wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessarily like a degenerative, uh, isolation. Like I didn't feel that it, you know, wore on me as a person. Um, but it did, I don't know. It it allowed for a lot of, um, kind of introspective, um, time to myself, even as a a young kid. And so I just ended up getting, getting up to things that I I don't know that I would have been so fully invested in if I were, You know actively you know in a public school or or maybe around um you know kind of the happenings of a of a city or a suburb i just kind of had a lot of time to fill and um i ended up filling it with music and it has just led me to a lot of really interesting places in my life so you know i I think it did have a big impact on, on who i am as a person and a musician
1: being outside of uh an urban setting and being outside of a public school setting, um, how, what was your, uh, what was your access to music? How did you, what was your method of discovering music?
2: So I grew up listening to my dad play guitar and, and sing. He didn't write his own music. Um, and he never really has other than just kind of jamming around on the guitar, but, um, he, would always play a bunch of full country rock songs. Um, And that was like one of our family activities together was just to to gather and listen to him play. Um, And I just, I always thought it was so cool how he could make those sounds happen with a guitar. Like I, obviously I was too young to understand how any of it worked. So it was like, it was, it was like a form of magic to me. And it was just, it, I was transfixed. I, you know, just would sit there and watch him play. Um, and like, we would sing along with him and he would have like a very eclectic playlist of of music that would accompany us on our car rides. Um, so that was like a big connective factor in my family. Um, and I think when I was eleven was when I really got interested in in playing guitar myself. My parents had got me a little pink daisy rock guitar for Christmas. Nice. And um <laughs> awesome. yeah, oh, oh my God, it was so badass. It was probably the most <laughs> rock and roll instrument I will ever own. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. I hope that still goes on tour.
2: Oh my gosh. I wish I could find you know I think I ended up giving it to um, I, I ended up giving it to a girl who was a little younger than me. I, I probably gave it away when I was 16 and I just felt like she would love it and, you know, love to learn on that guitar. Yeah, so it was kind yeah, of cool yeah. to pass it on. That's the proper um, thing to do. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. You, you got to share the love with that. Um, you could still hunt her But down. yeah. They- yeah. Oh yeah, to- totally good. <laughs> totally good. Hey, give me give that me guitar, that. kid. Um, yeah, so it came with a it came with a little guitar instructional book that just had like the basics for tabs, um, some chords in there. Just um, you know, just one note songs. A lot of those, basically. And I just just sat in front of that book for hours and hours, and I taught myself how to play you know my dad would show me some things here and there but he was you know busy a lot of the time with work so um i just had all this time to myself to really just dive into it like i played until my fingers bled i was so obsessed with it i got to the point where i was learning you know taylor swift cover songs like i really loved um taylor and carrie underwood and miranda lambert i was big into like the the female country music stars back then back when taylor was um, more in that country world, um, and it was just—I don't know—it it, it was just a—it was just a train at that point, a moving train. Like a momentum um, kept building, and I—I I just couldn't stop. Like I just—I loved to learn and explore, and my my parents were both really encouraging of what they were hearing. So it just—I don't know—it just happened pretty naturally after that.
0: We've been, you know, spending a lot of time listening, of course, in the last couple of weeks, and and kind of surveying all of it and really enjoying that. And um, you know, we fa- I found it really interesting. You made two albums, then became a finalist on The Voice, and then made two more albums. And uh, you know, I've read I've read where you've said that this latest album came out a year ago is is maybe the most you artistically. And I love that the experience of being on The Voice didn't seduce you into the world of mainstream pop and, and define who you were. It yeah. sounds to me like if anything, maybe you've, you know, continued to follow your artistic path, which of course, you know, is what we're all about at Craft Music. And I'm just curious to kind of hear about that, that arc.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys digging in and, and listening to what I've done thus far. It's always, it's always cool to hear. Um, I, I think I think my experience on The Voice, um, it definitely, it, it had a pretty big impact on the album that I released right after I was on the show, because I think, you know, I, I would I would be out in LA taping these shows and, and doing the performances, and I was out there for probably, you know, five months um, with, with some breaks in between, and when I would come home, I would be recording uh, my own songs that would come out later that year in November on that album breakfast. Um, and that definitely had like more of the pop influence going on just because of what I was doing at the time. Um, but when that was all wrapped up, I definitely, I felt a little bit disillusioned from the sort of stuff that I had been doing. Um, and I really wanted to be more authentic, um, I was so young at the time, too. there wasn't sure. necessarily as much depth to me as a person at that point. like you know i I had some stuff going on, but like how much how how far can you really go when you're yeah. when you're sixteen, seventeen um, yeah. so and i think I think it was honestly the 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 turmoil of that year uh and the intensity of that that ended up leading me. to to go to deeper places and really become more authentic as a person, as well as just giving me like the confidence um, to really come into my own as a person. Like being on the show was the scariest thing I had ever done. Um, And, you know, performing live in front of millions of people it kind of has this effect of like, Oh, if I can do that, I can do anything. Like if I can, yeah. if I can go out here and give my all to a song that I really care about, even if it's not my own um, and, and really make it happen and, and come out on the other side, then yeah, I can, I can perform anywhere. I can record whatever I want. Like that, that sort of mentality. Um, And I think that was probably the biggest, gift that I got from that experience. So moving forward I was I was really able to tap into that and just get get more confident as time went on. Um, so when it came time to really dig in and and release this last album, I felt like I was um, I was giving it I was giving it my all, you know, really uh, really kind of honing in on my own artistic vision. so that was that was a cool transformation to see in myself it took forever and i had to come up against a lot of um perfectionism with that particular release um it took three years to record that (laughs) um Mm -hmm. but uh i learned i learned so much from it and i'm just i I am i do feel that it's the the most me thing that i've released and I'm, i'm really proud of it still so it's all worth it
1: the um the the new album is I Do Not Have to Be Good. Uh just came out in, in March. Uh, when I was uh, delving into March your... Of March of 2020, we should clarify. March of 2020, yes. Yes. Yeah. It feels, <laughs> it feels like yesterday. Ta- this last year... Just, <laughs> well, I was having such a good time this last year. It went it by such, really fast.
0: Yeah, it was just such a
1: fun year. And a good
0: year yeah. to release an album.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes.
2: Perfect well, timing.
1: Yeah, well, well-timed, Emily. I have to say, really, you know latching on to the moment. Um, and not everyone we has those instincts like that, that were
0: just, you know, not, not launched at the right time.
3: Um,
1: as you were saying, as a, as I was saying, um, for whatever reason, I don't always do this, but I, I happened to, to approach your work in a chronological fashion. So when I, when I, uh, arrived at, uh, I do not have to be good. I was, uh, I was uh, I I really I really liked uh, what I was hearing. The uh, it's 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 a good deal more s- uh, sparse than your uh, the, your previous albums. It really showcases yeah. your your alto in such a nice way. It just makes it sound really big in the space that you create for it. Uh, percussions minimal and the uh, the accoutrements I think are very. Tastefully selected, it as opposed to like a a broader instrumental treatment for your for your songs, which had appeared on on previous albums.
2: Um, Thank you. Like I, all all of what you mentioned about the production and the kind of approach of the album was that was really what I intended it to be, what I hoped it could be. Um, And I think that's really what took the longest um, with the recording process. I just I had this this vision of of how how special it could be um, if it were more sparse.
1: One of my uh, one of my favorite tracks on the new album is Mary, I Love Her, which is built around this really lovely uh, two chord minor vamp on the guitar. Uh, but the the thing that adds this delicious tension into the song, is the uh, is the harmonies and particularly the harmony that comes at the very end of the chorus is this very tight interval that's unresolved. And I think like the, it feels like the whole song is building to that, that moment in the song.
3: I believe that anybody could be If you're crawling on a gravel floor to
2: I was actually thinking about that harmony in particular as I was talking a minute ago. That was, I had so much fun with that. Um, I, I so for a few of the songs on the album, the basis was actually a live performance. Um, we figured out how to, you know, isolate the acoustic guitar and the vocal from each other pretty well to the point where we still had control over things, but we got the, that kind of warmth and energy, and movement that you get from a live performance, especially from someone like if you have an artist that is most at home and most used to playing guitar and singing at the same time, you're gonna get a guitar performance and a vocal performance that is so different in a good way um, mm-hmm. than when you're separating it and you're constantly playing to a, a click track and you're you know you're layering things. It's gonna end up having um, sometimes like a disjointed feel. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, figuring out how to to mic that, you know, find a mic setup that allowed me to just be in the studio in the moment performing how I would when I was on stage while still getting that that quality. Um I, that was key. And I honestly I think that it um was the difference between um you know the album really meeting my vision versus kind of falling short of it. So, you know, doing that and then, you know, laying, layering harmonies over top of a live performance like that, that felt like much more magical to me personally. So yeah, that, that's one of my favorite things about the album.
0: I kept having a word come to mind, uh, you know, over and over again, as I listened to the record and that word was searching, you know, I feel like sometimes as we get older, we realize what we don't know. And, um, I felt like that's kind of what I was hearing, um, on the album was kind of whether it was musical or lyrical or vocal, um, just kind of an exploration and a, and a searching Hmm. and the confidence to do that, you know,
2: Hmm. that's absolutely, yeah, that's a, that's a huge thing. Um, very, that's a, that's a good way to describe that, um, that kind of tone, um, the tone that the album has and also just like my personal life, um, at the time. Um, I think (laughs) it's funny, the, the sort of intention, um, and, you know, like even the name for the album, I do not have to be good. I didn't land on that as a title choice until the very end of the process. Like, I don't know, maybe, um, a month before we were finished with it. Um, and it kind of it, it came about. Um, it, it was sort of connected to um, the "Mary I Love Her" song mm-hmm. that I based off of a Mary Oliver poem. And the first line of it is "You do not have to be good," um, and mm-hmm. the whole you know first uh, first verse of that poem is talking about how you don't have to you don't have to be sorry for existing. You don't have to be constantly in this repentant state, um, and You know, part of the the struggle of creating that album for me was being so fixated on on making it perfect. Like it has to be so good. It has to, you know, blow everything else out of the water. Like I have to give the best performance that that I've ever given. Um, And (laughs) sometimes, sometimes those thought processes can be motivating. and they can get you into this space of discipline and and excellence, but a lot of the time, uh, and I think for many musicians, it gets you in this place of paralysis and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just sort of an inability to move forward. You know, it's kind of that cliche of like perfection is the enemy of progress. Um, yeah, and that that was a big theme at the time for me to figure out. But every breakthrough that we had ended up being not perfect um like or not planned or um not completely thought out from a to z and i that was a lesson that i was constantly teaching myself or being taught by the other people in the process of making it um and it was very freeing and and so i kind of switched gears a little bit and refocused my mindset instead of on perfection, just to be on truth. And, you know, like even if I don't have that truth in my hand, even if I'm still searching for it, um, there is truth. There is a truth in the present moment of just making beautiful music and having beautiful connections and um, that being enough. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect, it doesn't have to be good. It can just be true, you know?
0: Well, and so it turns into something more powerful. Mm. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. The, uh, the 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 lyrics are 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 beautiful on the uh, on the album, and I like um, you have this uh, ability to to blend things that seem exceedingly personal, um, and then blend that in with with uh, things that are also easily generalizable and accessible for the listener. So that you can get the sense of somebody having a very intimate telling of their uh, of their personal experience, and yet allow the listener to uh, to you know to still access and to kind of project their own their own experience into uh, into the music. I think uh, static does that that the, your tune static does that for me when you're clearly talking about something that I, I presume is personal to you and a a character in your life. This this um, this imagery with the the record that uh, gives you the the dreams you don't like and so you scratched it all to death and whoever gave you this record is is, is playing it louder because they like the the effect that the scratches put on the sound.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I that's a that's a huge compliment. Thank you. Like what what you said about um, my writing style. I I appreciate it. It's very meaningful. Mm.
3: She played me every night before bed. Didn't like the dreams it gave me, so I scratched it all.
2: I think it's what I try to do or, or hope to do as a songwriter um, just to offer up my personal experience um, in a vulnerable way, as vulnerable as I need to be to to be telling the truth about it um, mm-hmm. without without making it necessarily all about me and, and getting too, so specific that it just doesn't even have any bearing on anyone else's life or experience. Um so yeah, I, I think as I, as I get older, I just, I, I want to stay in touch with that. And cause I, I think that's really the job of a songwriter um, when it comes down to it, you're just filtering um, you're filtering the human experience through your own lens. Um, and, you know, if you're doing that in in a true way, then it's going to resonate with people. Maybe not a lot of people, maybe only a handful, but even if it only resonates with a handful, you're still doing your job and you're still fulfilling that, that purpose. At least that's, that's how I feel about it.
1: Uh, A set of lyrics that, uh, that, that really grabbed me as I was listening to the new album are from the first track called nap. And this, uh, this pre-chorus that goes, Jesus is coming, hope he ate your spinach because Sally went blind and Judas got stitches. And I would take a nap with you over anything that God could do, which I I, I am a lover of uh, adding allusions to scripture in, uh, in, in song verse because I think it, it adds a gravitas and it's really cool when you juxtapose it with something that's you know, more profane or, or mundane, like an everyday life yeah. thing. Um, and I, I like the, 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 tension that that creates in, in lyric. I mean, everyone has their own spiritual sensibilities. Some people are defensive, some people are, you know, uh, agnostic about the whole thing, but there's something about, um, using, uh, religious themes that I think adds, uh, add, adds a, uh, a power to, uh, to whatever, whatever personal thing it is you're talking about.
2: I totally agree. I I love biblical references in, in art and music or, and just religious and spiritual references in general. I find them to be so incredibly powerful, um, you know, because so many people um, have a relationship to those themes, whatever it might be, whether it's a defensive one, whether it's an aggressive one, whether it's a very, a devotional one. Um, I think it it's, it's just it just immediately conjures up so many different images and feelings and experiences for people um I, I grew up in the christian religion um and you know i i wouldn't call myself agnostic or an atheist or really anything in particular um but you know at the time as I was writing that song and the album i was really um i was really kind of laying down my belief system and and putting putting it back up on the shelf I, I really at that point i I felt like um certain aspects of dogmatic organized religion just weren't making me happy in my life um and I was ready to explore other things and I think anytime you're ready to put something down <laughs> that you've been holding on to for a long time there they're gonna be it, there's like a grieving process so it's like the there's like the anger denial whatever whatever the five things of grieving are um (laughs) I think they come up
1: (laughs) the stages
2: (laughs) yes yes I think those come up um I think those come up pretty strongly when you're letting go of belief systems too um and so I I just felt this really strong drive to write something that had those kind of like irreverent biblical themes um to it (laughs) and uh I kind of like, I look back and I, I laugh a little bit now too, because I remember being just really angry when I first wrote that song. Um, but now like, I, I'm definitely not in that angry place. So I just, I just chuckle at it. Like I, I just see it as kind of funny. Um, and, and I, I personally enjoy that. I like not being angry about things anymore.
1: Yeah. And so
0: as a performer, can you get, is it, is it hard to get back to that place, you know, to inhabit a certain song, whether it's that song or another song? I'd imagine there's a, a something of the role of an actor there I guess.
2: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes sometimes I would say there's there's some acting. Um I can remember how it felt to be angry about it. I can also call in some other emotions. I think um I'm I'm not I'm not angry at religion anymore, but I I think I still am angry at the people in the world who use religion as a, an instrument of power to do horrible things um, or to make excuses for their own behavior. (laughs) Um, So it's like, it's almost like the anger has has shifted to a more specific place rather than I'm angry at God. I'm angry at Christianity. Like, no, I'm, I'm angry at billionaire Christians who don't help out the rest of the world because mm-hmm. what what do you actually believe in? Um, mm-hmm. I'm angry at homophobic people who have the power to make, live, um, make other people's lives difficult and um, do so, <laughs> like that sort of stuff. So I can definitely – I can that. tap in <laughs> – <laughs> yeah. right. Let me just keep going down the rest of the list. Wait, yeah, yeah. I am still angry, everyone. <laughs>
1: oh, no, it Turns out I am angry.
2: Oh man, take
3: <laughs> that in into therapy. Um,
0: we're we're angry at the same things. And,
2: and yes. I, yeah. I, well, I I because you're decent people. You know what I mean? Like it, fact, I feel like if you're not angry at those things, then oh, man. Yeah, this stuff's not hard. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think i think if if you're not angry about it then you're probably in denial which you know i get that too it's it's hard to be a human you can't be angry at everything all the time
3: tell me about the storm and again tell me about your morning cigarette sounds a of-
0: Beautiful album, and and um, and I think a, a really cool uh, piece of the you know your your artistic puzzle, and uh, it's been really uh, fun talking about it with you. So thanks for your time.
2: Oh God, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you for having me. Thanks for uh, such detailed, thoughtful questions about it. It's uh, I haven't gotten to nerd out about this album like this before, so that that's that's been very enjoyable for me. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. Craft Brood Music, both the podcast and the streaming service, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Secondly, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brood Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbroodmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.